for the first 40 years of my life, I didn't think I had an entrepreneurial bone in my body. I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't living out my full potential. I was asking myself, is this it? There's got to be more to this. Until at the age of 43, for the first time ever, I was laid off. That is what changed everything. Welcome to the Nomad Solopreneur Show, the only podcast where you learn actionable tips that you can apply right away on how to build and grow a one-person business while traveling the world. I'm your host, Gil Marushka. Every Thursday, solopreneurs and nomads will share their inspiring stories. I will challenge them to build solutions to real-life problems that freelancers and 9 to fivers are facing on the road to freedom. That's not all. Once a month, I welcome a special guest like executives and industry leaders to bring their wisdom and expertise to the table. If you're a freelancer or aspiring solopreneur, take your pen and paper, because in today's episode, I have the pleasure to host Dennis Gillin, the founder and chief difference maker at his solo consulting company Zero In that he founded in 2018. Through Zero In, Dennis helps companies solve indifference by implementing strategies to build the brand customers love and culture where people are passionate to work. Author of the best-selling book, The Zero In Formula, Mr. Gillin has worked with companies in several industries, spoken at countless events, conferences, workshops, webinars, with dozens of guest appearances on international podcasts. Now, Dennis also helped the solopreneur get started with his latest book, The Accidental Solopreneur, providing a playbook for success told through a riveting and relatable parable that is getting great reviews from entrepreneurs around the globe. Welcome, Dennis. So glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I was looking forward to our chat because I was checking your profile on LinkedIn. We are connected for quite a while and noticed that you started quite late your solopreneurship journey. And mm-hmm. I'm eager to find out how that come to fruition and why you make this decision to become a solopreneur and an accidental solopreneur. I get that question a lot. Well, lots to unpack there. So why did it happen so late? Um, so for the listeners, it happened when I was 43. That's when I started my solopreneur journey. And I would say the main reason is for the first 40 years of my life, I didn't think I had an entrepreneurial bone in my body. I had no aspiration to do my own thing, to start my own business. I was a corporate guy and I was fine with that. That was what was modeled for me by my parents growing up. You know, you get a good education, you get a good job, you're loyal to your company, and that's what you do until you retire, right? Um, So that was great. I was doing that. I was successful at it. It was comfortable. It was safe. I had no thoughts of being an entrepreneur or solopreneur until probably in my late 30s. I did start to kind of get this itch. You know, I'd been in the corporate world now for almost 20 years at that point, and I'd climbed up the corporate ladder, had been very successful. And I finally got to this point where I was asking myself, is this it? There's got to be more to this. I've kind of checked everything on the checkbox, right? Get your degree, check. Get a good job, check. Buy the house, check. Get married, have kids, right? And then all the check marks were there, but something felt like it was missing, there was something I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't living out my full potential. And I knew that I could do more, but I didn't. Until at the age of 43, for the first time ever, I was laid off. That is what changed everything. Suddenly now this safe, comfortable, corporate, you know, script that I was following wasn't so safe anymore. I was laid off. And that blew my mind. But but this is the safe way. This is the comfortable way. How could I be on the outside looking in now? And that's when through a bit of a journey, I finally decided, hey, I, I am going to take this opportunity now and I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to start my own one-person consulting company. Wow, that's quite a hell of a journey. And I, I'm curious when you mentioned that you got that itch. It was the routine that made you realize that it's more to this or what exactly 
I think it was a combination of things. It's all exciting and new in the beginning. You get your first corporate job. You start climbing up the corporate ladder. You're learning. You're growing. Everything's new and exciting. And you start learning how to be a leader. And you start learning how to plan and strategize. And that really kept me filled for several years until eventually I started to plateau, right? Eventually you reach your ceiling and, and there's no more new or exciting or more stuff to learn eventually. And that's when I was like... Hey, wait a minute. Now what? <laughs> There's got to be more to this. So I think there were, there was that. And plus, as you mentioned, yeah, it was just now I was just in this routine. I was just in, this is what I do every day. This is what I do every week. And I felt like I needed to jolt myself out of that routine and, and do something different. That's the thing with routine because you can just have the same. If you don't do something to change it, it's going to be just a treadmill that you're walking or running for your entire mm -hmm. life and you end up like that was it also glad that you mentioned the security of a job because is this misconception that especially if you work for a state-owned company that if you have a job there you're secure for life you don't have to worry about anything like you have a good mm -hmm. salary you have the security of a job and so on and my last job was that state job and After a while, I realized that as you, it's just the same routine, the same things. I want more than that. Mm. And everyone thought that I was crazy when I quit. Of course, I was already having my side hustle and already making more money than my full-time job. That helps. Yeah, for sure. The decision was much more easier. And everyone, especially family and friends, you're quitting this high-paid job, secure job, and so on. I told them. No job in this world is secure, even that without knowing, and I was quite young, what will happen. And on the same position as me, months later after I quit my job, my colleague was laid off from that secure job. Go. And I was like, wow, look, guys, wasn't as secure as I first thought. Same for you. You imagine that, especially being in leadership in a corporate world for so long, you might think that your job is secure, you have all the locks in place to be able to continue that journey for the rest of your life but it seems that is not true and when you've been laid off what was your first thought why do you feel that moment to start to feel this itch of entrepreneurship well that actually wasn't my initial thought my initial thought was holy smokes i have to jump back into the script i was following the script and now <laughs> it's been broken I need to jump back in and find another corporate job right away. Like I'm, I'm, I'm breaking from this safe, comfortable script. But after a few days, I started to realize, is it safe and comfortable? And then my wife reminded me, you know, Dennis, you've been talking about, is there more? You've been talking about maybe wanting to bet on yourself. Maybe now's a good time. We had been very good financially, so we were not in a bad place because I had been laid off. Plus I had a good severance package. Now I also have the support of, of my wife. I'm thinking, boy, everything's kind of lining up here. Maybe now is the time. So it did take me maybe a week or two to get to that point where I said, yeah, you know what? I am going to do it. I am going to bet on myself and, and try and do something here. What was your next step? Because our listeners are thinking, All right, so I want to take this leap from the nine to five, or maybe they're just in your situation. They've been laid off and they have no mm -hmm. idea what steps to take in order to be able to yeah. move. Recommend anybody do what I did. I mean, your path is much smarter. You start as a side hustle, you build it up until you know you can replace that nine to five income. In my case, I was starting from scratch. There was no more nine to five job. Yes, I had the severance package, but I was starting brand new. And eventually that severance package would run out. So I kind of had this ticking clock of you better start learning how to build a business and make some money. So I had this pressure in the background of you, you better figure this out. At first I was quite naive and probably a little too proud. I just thought, ah, I've got 20 years of corporate experience I'll just announce to the world that I'm a consultant now and the, you know, the clients will be lined up at my door and everything will be fine. I soon learned it doesn't work like that. And I had a lot to learn when it came to 
how to brand myself, how to market myself, how to package my services and my offering, how to sell it. I knew what to do once I landed a client. I knew how to do a strategy with them. I knew how to do a bunch of innovation, brainstorming, and experience workshops. Great. Once I land a client, I got that all lined up. I had no idea how to land a client, right? So, but I didn't know what I didn't know. So it took me a while to figure out, man, I have a lot to learn. And that's when I had to start diving in and learning about branding and marketing and sales. I doesn't think, isn't it, getting those clients the door yeah. are probably the most challenging parts when it comes to doing something for yourself, even as a freelancer yeah. or a solopreneur or starting a new business is the hardest part. And you mentioned that it works to actually build a personal brand and start marketing yourself. What was your channel that you focus on? I originally, so this was 2018, this was before the pandemic. So I was doing a lot of in-person networking. I joined the local chamber of commerce. I, lo I joined a bunch of local networking, business networking groups, and I was going to all these different meetups and meeting people and just kind of practicing my spiel about who am I and what do I do and how do I help companies? And it was starting to get my name out there a bit. And I was starting to get a few clients that way. And then I really realized, boy, I can reach a lot more people a lot faster through LinkedIn. And I chose LinkedIn because, yes, there's all kinds of social media channels out there, but there's this one that's specifically for business, right? Correct. <laughs> Especially in 2018, nobody was going on LinkedIn to look at funny videos of cats or people wiping out on their skateboard or, you know, to see whose birthday it was. This wasn't Facebook. This wasn't TikTok. This wasn't Instagram. This was people there for business. So that's when I started to really update my profile started learning how to post about who I am, what I do, and learning how to network on the platform. That's what really started to take things off for me once I kind of figured out how to do that. That's wonderful and happy that you mentioned networking because networking is top three of my favorite way to get clients on the door. And it's powerful, isn't it? Because through network, you build not only relationships, but you build opportunities because is this misconception that if I do networking or if I outreach to people on LinkedIn, for example, is to sell something? No, it isn't. You, you have to build relationships. You have to stay on top of their mind and be resourceful, be helpful to them. And that way, at some point, maybe you'll get a client or get opportunity to speak. I noticed that you speak to over 50 podcasts. That comes through networking, I guess, right? Yeah. In the beginning, it was me reaching out asking to be a guest on a lot of podcasts. Now it's the other way around. Now that I've done so many, I get a lot of people reaching out to me saying, hey, do you want to be a guest on the podcast? And that's just from networking. And, and I like to tell people, it's not that you network, it's how you network, right? Anybody can go on LinkedIn and send out a connection request and immediately pitch somebody their services. Nobody likes that. That's not networking. You nailed it. It's connecting, it's building relationships, and it's slowly over time. And it's it's providing value for free a lot in the beginning to prove your worth, to prove that you are credible, to prove that you have the expertise. And then I even learned, boy, what I post, I need to be giving away all kinds of value in my posts as well. Just free tactics, free strategies, free information. That just allows people to see you as this credible expert and it earns trust And then eventually they start reaching out to you. Hey, can I, can you help me with this? Hey, can I pick your brain on that? Hey, what would you do here? And then that's, that's when you know, okay, this is working. And now the real trick is how do I then turn that into an offer at some point? That's still the delicate part, right? Exactly. And that's the biggest fear for those that want to put themselves out there and show themselves as an expert, the fear mm -hmm. of giving too much for free. But usually people hire you either to execute for them or to actually walk them through the process. The information, it's for free everywhere, like YouTube, yes, exactly. yeah, LinkedIn and all the places. Yeah. But what you do with that information, as you mentioned that there is a thing that you need to build that offer. You need to actually get that client exactly. in the door and yep. help them. They're hiring you to help hold their hand, right? The phrase I like to use is, 
Nobody has learned to ski just by reading a book. You can read a book about how to ski, but then you stand at the top of the mountain and you're looking down. You want an expert standing beside you to show you and correct you and guide you and hold you up. That's what they're hiring you for. The information's all there, but they still want somebody to hold their hand and get them down the mountain safely. So give away all the information for free. They're going to hire you for your expertise. Speaking of help, did you reach out to someone? Did you have a mentor or you did it all by yourself? In the beginning, I tried to do it all by myself. The problem I found was there's tons of information, almost too much. That was the problem. I could read all these books. I could watch all these YouTube videos. I could read all these blogs and articles. I needed somebody to help me decipher it down to which books, which blogs, which articles, which videos were appropriate for me and my business. And who can decipher, you know, oh, do this, but don't do that part. And try this first before you do that. And that is what's missing because everybody's different and everybody's business is different. So yes, I did. I reached out to several people. I, I took some courses. I was part of some cohorts. I had some mentors. Uh, that was a big part of really cutting through the noise and figuring out what information and which people I needed to help guide me in my early steps. So the mentorship was huge. Just wondering if you have in mind a solution to find your mentor or to find that idea resources, because there is a lot of noise, like you yeah. have a lot of experts online doing various things and so on. And at some point I was also searching for a mentor and I got overwhelmed easily because the amount of information, the am amount of mentors and experts, do you have any tip on how to do that easily without getting scared and literally quitting? Right. Yeah. It, it can be overwhelming. There's, there's coaches or gurus or consultants everywhere. Right. So what I really tried to do was say, okay, w what am I specifically trying to do? And who is somebody that is maybe a couple steps ahead of me? I don't need somebody that's making $20 million doing this. And they really found their way 10 years ago. They're so far ahead. And what they did was so long ago, it might not be relevant for me. I need somebody that's maybe two or three years ahead of me doing the same thing as me. And that's the most relevant person to be a coach or a mentor for me. So that was really how, to, how I kind of sifted down. I was starting a one-person consulting company. There's all kinds of business coaches or consultants or gurus out there, but I don't need to scale this thing. I'm not hiring employees. I don't have a, a product. I was a one-person consulting company. So I was looking for somebody who had done that. And that's where I really whittled it down and said, okay, who's a couple steps ahead of me doing that? That's who I need to be talking to. Very good advice. And touching a bit on this part of, you mentioned that you weren't looking to grow much. And I love that concept, like keeping as high as you want without getting overwhelmed and achieving your financial goal or whatever your goal is, what's the state of your business at this point? You are having help in various aspects of your business through contractors, freelancers, or full-time employee, or you are still alone? And no, no full-time employees. I did not want that. I, I came to a point a few years into my business where I was like, okay, what is my next step? Do I get a partner? Do I hire employees? But I had to take a step back and say, well, what was my goal here? My goal wasn't to make as much money as I can. My goal was to create a lifestyle. And the lifestyle I want is freedom over my time. If I'm now managing a bunch of employees, I don't have freedom over my time, right? Now I'm, I'm managing them. I'm, I'm giving them performance reviews. I'm trying to, you know, motivate them. And I've done all that and I enjoy it, but that's not my goal here. So I just have freelancers that I reach out to at different times when I need certain things done. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. I know what I enjoy. I know what I don't enjoy. The stuff I'm not good at, the stuff I don't enjoy, I can outsource that to other people. So, But not full-time employees. That's not what I'm looking for. And this is the definition of solopreneurship, right? Because if you move that path and you start to hire full-time employees and you as you mentioned, you become a manager, you're already an entrepreneur. You're not 
a solopreneur anymore and mm -hmm. all that freedom that you build because with everyone that I talk about solopreneurship, they want this, they want freedom of first of time and financially freedom. And that's only achievable if you maintain your one person business big enough to be able to sustain that lifestyle, but not as big as becoming overwhelming for yourself and for others. And I love that approach because I have the same. I yeah. I don't have full-time yeah. employees and not, it, it's not, beautiful Not like to that. say there's anything wrong with that approach either. Yeah, it just correctly. That's not my goal. It's not what I was after. I, some people, that, that would be very exciting for them to take a company, build it up, hire employees, and then maybe sell the company at some point. That's just not what I'm after. That's not my goal at this point in my life. So, it, but if that's yours, that's awesome, right? So... Correct. And everyone has his own goals and own definition of freedom and what they want to achieve. Yep. And I want to rewind a bit back to networking because I feel like it's a subject that is so important and most of the time overlooked when it comes to finding clients. And a lot of our listeners are freelancers that want to take this path or nine to fivers that the same want to become solopreneurs. And what would be your number one recommendation when it comes to networking. What's that thing that should never be missed when you build a relationship? Well, two two pieces of advice I like to give people. One, don't just network with anybody, right? Be very intentional about who you're networking with. Why are you networking with certain people? And look for those types of people, right? Is it a certain industry? Is it, is it a certain in a certain position? Is it somebody who's got certain connections? It's not just, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and connect with everybody I can on LinkedIn today. That's going to be a huge waste of your time. Be very intentional about who is your ideal person you want to network with. So that's number one. Number two is, and we touched on it already, be a giver. While you're networking, make it all about them. How can you help them? What advice can you give them? Who can you connect them with? You want them to trust you. You want them to see you as a credible expert. You want them to see you as somebody that brings value. You want them to see you as somebody they trust. That doesn't happen by asking them for stuff. That happens by giving them stuff. And eventually what will happen is because they, uh, over time, will see you as a credible expert, as somebody they trust, as somebody that gives value, human nature says they're going to eventually want to reciprocate. And now they maybe want to hire you, or they want to introduce you to somebody, or a, a business opportunity comes up and they think of you. That's just how human nature works. But you don't jump to that in the beginning. You start by being a giver and just give, give, give. Love that because reciprocation is something that people often overlook and they think that, oh, I give this person so much value. I, I help them so many times and so on, and they'll never pay back and they will. And that's the beauty of it. And do you think that you need to have an agenda when you go to a networking event or let it flow naturally without having on top of your mind, oh, I know this person will be at this event. It, it's a must to talk with him or with her, or it's just something that you do naturally. And my answer there would be maybe a bit of both. You don't want to go in completely unprepared, right? Who are the types of people I want to network with? What are the types of things I want to say? What are my goals? But then once you're there, be able to go with the flow, be a bit flexible, right? You, you, you're going to get asked questions maybe that you weren't prepared for. Your conversations are going to go in different ways. That's okay, right? Um, be open to those new conversations. They might lead into uh, a path that is, you know, bearing fruit that you didn't even foresee, right? So be open to that as well, but don't go in completely unprepared. Great advice because otherwise you'll just fail without starting. Yeah, yeah exactly. Do you have any other favorite ways of getting clients? Early for me, again, before COVID, I, I was hosting a lot of in-person workshops. So after I had kind of built my personal brand and, and had my offering and I, you know, narrowed down my niche, I started doing a lot of workshops. These were paid workshops, but it would get me in front of a lot of businesses or clients that wouldn't have that opportunity to know me. Otherwise, or if they did, it was just because they read a post on LinkedIn. Now they were in a room with me. 
Now they got to interact with me live. Now they got to see my real personality and they got to see even more value that I can bring. So I was introduced to a lot of companies that way. And then several of those workshop attendants turned into clients. They would go back and they would say, hey, I just came back from the workshop with Dennis. Here's a bunch of stuff he, he taught. Boy, do you think we can get Dennis in to help us implement this strategy? And that's what was happening a lot. Obviously with covid the in-person workshops uh, went on hold, so I uh, transitioned that into a lot of speaking engagements or virtual workshops or webinars. Not the same feel as, you know, being in-person, um, but that, that was definitely huge for me in the beginning to get the ball rolling. You mentioned that there are paid workshops. Yep. You have to pay to attend them from your perspective, or the attendees have to pay to participate? They had to pay to participate. I wanted, I was doing like half day or full day workshops where I was giving a lot of really good, valuable tactics and information. So for that, they would have to pay. I would, I would do some free one hour webinars, um, just to kind of get, you know, uh, grow my audience. But for the half day or full day workshops, those were paid. They had to pay to attend. I was asking that because I also hear that some, some experts that are at the beginning, they pay to host those workshops. They have someone that is getting together the audience for them and right. make sure the prospects are ideal and so on. Yeah. So that's what I was curious if was those type of yeah. workshops or the other way around. Yeah. No, it's 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 not a bad idea as well. If you have the capital to do that and you haven't really made a name for yourself yet, you need to get yourself out there. You need to get in front of people. So that's that's another good tactic provided the right people are in the room, right? So, Correct. And after you start building up your name and starting the consulting business, how do you realize that, okay, I put, I grow up this from the ground up. Now what's next? What I have to do in order to have that security? Because even if you have your own business, if you have just one stream of income, it's not that secure, right? So mm -hmm. how do you went about that? That's where the pandemic really helped. Um, because all of my income was coming from either in-person consulting engagements or in-person workshops, and then the pandemic got rid of all of that, I realized, boy, that's uh, not a very safe or secure way to make my income. It was working well until the pandemic hit, but now I needed to do something different. So that was when I wrote the book, The Zero In Formula. So my one-person consulting company is called Zero In. I took, here's what I do, here's my strategy, here's how I implement it with companies, and I put it into a book, The Zero In Formula. I talked to all kinds of best-selling authors to figure out how do you write a good book, how do you get a good book edited and published, and how do you market it, and how do you get it out there. So I did a lot of work during the pandemic to get that book out there, and it worked. It got me in front of all kinds of new companies around the world. It, it hit bestseller on Amazon in four countries. It um, translated into Spanish. It got me on all kinds of podcasts and it opened me up to a whole bunch of new companies that I would never have worked with before. And now I was doing all kinds of virtual consulting because they were all over the world. And it also created a new revenue stream. The book itself was being sold on Amazon and in bookstores. So that was a new revenue stream. So that kind of opened my eyes to well, what other digital products or what other passive income could I have other than just the book? Because, you know, a book sells for $20, right? That's a pretty low ticket item. So that's when I decided, well, I could also do online courses. And I created the Zero In Formula online course as well. What I found was because I was journaling this all on LinkedIn and people were seeing, boy, you started your own one-person consulting company. You packaged your services. You were doing these workshops. Now you wrote a book, and then you put out an online course. I was getting a lot of solopreneurs, or people who want to be solopreneurs, reaching out to me to say, can I pick your brain? I want to do this too. Can I have a call with you? They wanted you know, me to mentor them. And I was doing this a lot, a lot of free Zoom calls where I was telling somebody how to write a book or how to create a course or how to start their own consulting business. And that's when it finally dawned on me, hey, I got a whole other market here. Yes, I have my business consulting company, but I could also coach other solopreneurs. 
And that's a whole other revenue stream again. It's almost like my side hustle on top of my solopreneur consulting. So that's when I wrote the book, The Accidental Solopreneur. It's for a whole different audience now. It's for somebody who wants to do what I did. That's when I created the online course, The Solopreneur Playbook. That's when I created the online course, The Author's Playbook. And now anytime somebody reaches out and says, hey, I want to do what you did, I say, great, here's my book, here's my courses, here's a, a link where you can book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me. And now I've got a whole other revenue stream here from the solopreneur side of stuff. So it's really diversified multiple revenue streams here for me. The super smart and super secure. Now, if one of those revenue streams goes off, you have all the other. And yep. I love that part when you mentioned that you realize that you have a market here only by others asking questions. Because I get this question a lot. What should I build? What digital product should I come up with? If you don't have someone asking you questions, just look at the questions in comments on a YouTube video or on LinkedIn and so on. And you realize that a lot of people have the same problem. So there is a market there if they ask the same questions again and again. And yeah, that was beautiful and super smart. I love that. And since in this podcast at the No One Solopreneur Show, we're all about providing value, I want to challenge yourself. All right, let's go. <laughs> because building a passive income as a freelancer, for example, or someone, a solopreneur that it's at the beginning might be a daunting task. And I want you to come up on spot with a strategy for someone that is in that situation. They don't really have a huge following. They don't really have right. um, actually a network to work. They're probably just yep. trading time for money and they are good at their craft, but they have no idea how to make a passive income. The first thing they have to do is start to build an audience. Because even if you have a book or a course, if you don't have an audience, who's going to buy it? Right? So there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, just create a course or write a book. Or, well, if you have no audience, you're going to be sadly, uh, you know, upset when nobody buys it. Right? So the playbook I like to take people through is first find your niche, right? What specific problem do you solve for which specific group of people and really um, package a service offering around that? Not, not at an hourly rate. What's your proprietary process? What is your five-step way of solving their problem? What is your three-step system that they're buying from you, um, you know, to help teach them learn ski down the hill, right? What is your method that they're paying for? Once you've got that and you're delivering it, now is when you're paying attention to all these other questions that they're asking. As you're consulting, as you're delivering your service, what are all these extra questions? Great. That's stuff that could go into a book or could go into a course someday. So start posting about it on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or, or wherever your social media is of, of choice. Start giving the answers to all those questions for free. That's what's going to build your following. People want to follow a credible expert that gives tactical advice. Anybody can go on and give these high-level platitudes like, hey, start your own business, or hey, be nice to each other. Like, that's not really saying anything, right? Hey, here's how I wrote my book. Hey, here's how I started my course. Hey, here's how I found my first client. Hey, here's how I dealt with this sales objection. Give real tactical information. That's going to grow your following. And then pay attention to the questions that come in the comments again. Well, how did you do that? What did you do here? What did you do there? Great. That's more information for more posts that you just keep writing until you have enough information and enough of an audience to now package and sell them a book or a course. That's really the playbook uh, if you're starting from scratch. That's beautiful. And indeed, without an audience, it's a huge battle up the hill. And I'll also love to add here another way that I'm thinking and I'm actually trying to implement is to tap into other audiences. Like those that have your target audience and it's that huge. can be probably either sponsorship or it can be literally partnerships, whatever, but you'll get way faster. One of the things I do is every morning I have a list of about 50 people that I follow on LinkedIn or Twitter, and I have a link right to their most recent post. It's, it's, it's in my calendar. 
I have a reminder that comes up every morning at 8 a.m. And boom, there's all these links in this in this Outlook reminder. Go to this person's latest post. I read it and I comment on it. And these are people that are a few steps ahead of me. These are people that already have a big audience. These are people that are putting out posts that people want to interact with. So now I go on that post and I add my two cents as well. Not just, hey, great post, but I go, hey, that's awesome. Also, here's what worked for me, or here's something I did last week, or here's a mistake I made. And because they already have a big audience and people are interacting on their posts, they read my comment and they go, oh, who's this Dennis guy? And then they come follow me as well. So you're kind of tapping into their audience and maybe even almost stealing their audience, but you have to know who are those people. They have to be, again, same sort of niche, doing the same sort of thing, and they're a couple steps ahead of you. They love it. You're interacting on their posts, which is what they want. Um, But inadvertently, you're also building your audience by doing that. And they may reach out. They may like what you're doing. They may want to partner with you. They may throw some work your way even. But it's a quick and easy way to grow your audience much faster. And it's just free. You don't have to pay for partnerships or uh, sponsorships. Of course, it takes time, but you cannot build without investing time. You definitely have to put some boundaries in place for yourself because you could just sit there all day interacting, right? I have it blocked in my calendar for this period of time. These are the posts I'm interacting with, and that's it. I'm not just scrolling to see what's on there. I'm going to these particular people's posts, and I'm reading them, and I'm commenting, and then I'm shutting down. Otherwise, yeah, you could spend all day. True, and discipline is a big part of being a solopreneur. Because you can get caught up in so many scenarios that you don't want to be. No more excuses to not start building your network. And it's all there at your fingertips, so why not use it? I think what discourages a lot of people is it's not instant, right? We live in this age of everybody gets this instant gratification. Building an audience is not instant. It takes time, it takes consistency, it takes being persistent, and it takes being smart with how you do it, how you're who you're following, who you're engaging with, how you're engaging. Are you giving out good, actionable information in your comments, in your posts? And you have to do it consistently day after day after day. But eventually it will build an audience if you stick to it. True. If you want to have instant impact, instant income, you can stick to nine to five or find another job if you get layoff and so on. But if you want to build a business, patient is key because otherwise it won't happen overnight. And there will be mistakes. You'll learn from them and move forward. And speaking of time, how much time it took for you to go from the person that just got laid off and arriving at having multiple stream of income? So I would say the first six to nine months was really me figuring things out. Um, So between six to nine months, I had now got my service offering nailed down. I had packaged it. I had branded myself. I had learned how to sell it. That was six to nine months. Then it it took me a while to write a good book and build another income stream there. And then the course of, it was probably a year and a half to two years before I at least had even multiple income streams, but then another maybe year, year and a half to really start building up those passive income streams. So we're talking three, three and a half years to get to that point. It was not an overnight thing. There's a roadmap you got to follow here. You got to find your niche. You got to find your offering. You got to learn how to sell it. Then you got to build this audience. And then you have to create these assets that you can sell. It doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, for sure. And without consistent effort and actually putting yourself out there, won't going to happen. I'm curious how a day in the life of the accidental solopreneur looks like. Where you put the most effort, especially when it comes to work. And of course, you can talk about your personal life as well, if mm. you want. Now I'm actually doing quite a bit of coaching. So I'm, I'm actually ramping down on the business consulting because the solopreneur coaching is really taking off. So I do a lot of interacting with people on social media about my book and my courses and my coaching. I do coaching calls, still doing a ton of networking. I do a lot of content creation. Um, but I try and structure my day so that 
this part of the day is used for that. And then this part of the day is used for that. And I build in rest times in there. I like to walk my dog. So, you know, there's a, there's a, at least still some routine and structure to what I'm doing. It must be in place. Otherwise it's hard to get carrying away with other stuff and you have your office set up at home or you go to different locations to work. Yeah. Well, I have a contract right right now through my consulting. I have a contract with the local university. So I'm, I'm doing some work with them. I'm in there a few days a week. Otherwise I'm, I'm from home. So glad to mention that because especially when you start working for yourself and if you don't go to a professional place to work from like a corking space or even a coffee shop, it's kind of hard to, at least for me, it was super hard at the beginning to have some boundaries. I worked from home for seven years before becoming a nomad. And at the beginning it was hard. And I'm curious, how did you manage to balance this and put those boundaries? So your, your dog is not <coughs> bothering you or your family. And At first for me, I, I loved it. I'm an introvert. So I was like, wow, I don't have to be around people all the time. This is great. I can do my own thing. Eventually, though, I did find, okay, um, I do miss people. I miss being part of the conversations and, and strategizing and and being part of a team. You know, that there was a there was this lonely feeling. So I had to make sure that I was building in, okay, I need to do at least so many Zoom calls a day. So at least I get some people interaction. I do need to have boundaries, so I'm you know, I'm not spending too much time doing non-work stuff. So I, I'm a fanatic about blocking stuff into my calendar. And that's what keeps me on track. The reminders pop up. I should be doing this now. And I've got that slotted for an hour and a half. Great. I'm going to do that. And then whoop, reminder pops up. Okay. You should be done that. And you should be doing this now. So that's basically all it really takes for me is slotting it into my calendar and having those reminders pop up. And that's you know, it tries to keep me on track and, and give me some boundaries. That's powerful, isn't it? Because without having a plan for the next day, you just go there and you don't know what to do. What's next? What's, you have to have those block of time or your tasks. But one thing that I was struggling with was having too many tasks for the mm -hmm. next day. And I was like, yeah. I need to try something else. For me, at least works to have the most two important tasks the priorities that I yeah. have to do that day, those are non-negotiable. And all the others, it's a good thing if I manage to go through them. If not, they can be postponed for the next day. What's yeah. urgent and important. I like to look at that. If it's urgent exactly. and it's important, I got to get those ones done. Everything else can slot in where they need to. Yeah, correct. And when it comes to working on your business, what are those 20% of your work that generates 80% of the results? I would say it's changed as my business has uh, morphed over the years. But at, at this point, it's, it's really putting out good, valuable content is the biggest thing for me right now. I've gotten to the point where I've got a pretty good size following on LinkedIn. And because I've done enough, I've built enough, I've created enough in my business, I've got tons of information I can share with people. So now it's putting out posts that are valuable with good information and interacting with people on those posts that really drive a lot of my book sales and course sales and one-on-one -on -one coaching. People really like it when I get tactical and then they just want more of that. So that drives them to buy my book or my course or, or have a coaching call with me. So a lot of my time is spent creating content that is valuable and engaging for people. That's beautiful. And also easy to achieve to anyone that's an expert because you have so much to share and we all yeah. have an experience, a life that we can put out there. Of course, you don't have to get personal if you don't want to, but just providing that value and showing off your expertise. And yeah. as you mentioned, give, 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 give. Yeah. At some points, you'll be able to take as well because those yep. persons see you as an expert and be able to mm -hmm. offer them advice. I say it morphed though, because earlier, a bigger, much bigger focus for me was on networking. It was on building that community and building those relationships because I didn't have a big audience. And now that I've got a bigger audience, it's having good content. Other points in time, it's been really figuring out my personal brand. Like I just did a post the other day and that explained how did I come up with my personal brand, the accidental solopreneur and the story behind it and how I've 
use that to differentiate myself from other solopreneur coaches. I don't just say, Hey, I'm a solopreneur coach. I've branded myself as the accidental solopreneur and there's a book that goes with it and there's a course that goes with it. And I do, um, threads on Twitter and I do posts on LinkedIn once a week where I highlight a business or a product that was kind of discovered accidentally. And, you know, so I've really made this my brand and I use the same symbol on everything that I do, the little red hot air balloon. It's on my book. It's on my courses. It's on my threads. It's everywhere. Like, but that was a lot of work coming up with that and figuring out how to do that. And, uh, you know, but now that that's done, I, I spend more time doing the content creation. So it, it really morphs over time where, where you spend the bulk of your time. Indeed. And what I see here is basically that you actually build that brand around the person that you were, because you are an accidental solopreneur. And that's the thing, because when it comes to personal branding, I struggle with that a lot as well until I came up with the nomad solopreneur, because mm -hmm. that's who I am. I'm a solopreneur and I'm a nomad. How can you build more easier a personal brand than actually using your own self, your own experience. A lot of people are saying, oh, I want to build my personal brand as well, but I have no idea what to come up with. But you have a life, you have an experience, you have all of that, just put it out there. But I'm an introvert as well. So I know how hard can be sometimes to put yourself out there. How did you overcome that? Did you feel that at the beginning when you start networking and start oh, putting for sure. yourself out there? For sure. Yeah. The idea of networking in the beginning was like, oh my goodness, I actually have to go talk to people. <laughs> that was not, you know, high on my list of things I wanted to do. Or boy, I have to put myself out there on social media. Oh, that doesn't feel right. Um, there's the introvert side of it, but then there's the also, I don't want to come across as um, somebody that's being boastful. Um, you know, I, I want to put information out there. I want to share so that people trust me. So people see me as an expert. I don't want to come across as flashy or boastful on social media. Right. So there's, there's always that trying to strike that balance. Um, so I just had to kind of find my voice. I had to kind of find, well, how do I write or how do I talk when I'm talking with people so that I'm coming across as authentic I'm coming across as somebody who's here to help, who's here to give. Hopefully they see me as more humble than prideful because that's not the way I want to project myself. But it, it, it took a while. It took a lot of repetition and experience to get to find that voice. I just assume that this is something that everyone should do, even they are introverts or extroverts. Just put those repetitions there because if you don't practice your shyness of camera or just being there and talking face to face with people. If you don't face that fear, it's hard to overcome. And that works. Repetition, that right? Just do it. Just start. It's going to look bad. It's going to sound bad. It's going to read very bad in the beginning. And then it gets better over time, right? For sure. And if you're in my shoes, what's that one question that you wish I would ask you and I didn't? Good yeah. one. How about what's next for me? Nice. Love that. <laughs> yeah. My answer would be probably a newsletter because uh, I, I've been spending all of my efforts building an audience on other platforms. And just like a corporate job, it might seem safe today, but, you know, the algorithm could change. Something could happen. You know, another company could buy LinkedIn. Elon could do something weird with, with Twitter and that audience you've built. You really don't have control over it. So I really need to start um, building up an audience where I have control over it. And that would be through a newsletter. So that's probably the next step for me. Smart step for sure. So speaking of the newsletter and how people can find you, I'd love to, to tell our listeners where they can find you, how they can work with you if they want to, or to buy your products like the ebook or sure. courses. So probably the best place is my website. So it's just uh, my name, dennisgeelan.me. Um, there you can see my book, you can see my courses, you can see how to book a call with me. You can see kind of my bio, how I've built my business. And if you just want to connect, connect, and is probably the best place to, uh, connect with me and, and follow and engage with, with my content. Oh, that's awesome. And for those that are listening from a car or something, make sure to check out the notes because I put all the links to Dennis resources there and we have a special gift for you a big discount to the author's playbook and you'll be able to find it in the show notes as well 
As a tradition in this show, at the end of each episode, you want our listeners to have a challenge, this time from you. You have to challenge them to do something in maximum one day. Okay. They'll be able to apply easily, but in the same time to have a huge impact. And the challenge for you will be to help them choose their niche because a lot of our listeners are struggling to choosing a niche. What would be your actionable advice on that? Yeah, start uh, finding your niche is really the best place to start anyway, right? You you want to get very specific about what problem do you solve or can you help solve for what specific group of people? If you can do that, you're going to become a credible expert. So, uh Let me give an example first, and then I'll give some tips on on how they can do this. So when I say find your niche, maybe you're a book editor. If you just advertise yourself as, I'm a book editor, that's not a niche. Yes, you're editing books, but you want to be very specific. What type of book do you edit and for who? So finding your niche would be saying, instead of saying, I'm a book editor, you would say, I am a nonfiction book editor for first-time authors. That's much more niche, right? So now you got to figure out what is your niche. So it's really a combination of a few things. A, what expertise do you have? So maybe start a list. What, what things do I have a lot of expertise in? Is it book editing? Is it strategic planning? Is it writing? Is it, you know, graphics design? Is it building websites? What, what expertise do you have where you can offer a service? And then make another list. What industries do I have a lot of expertise in? Is it in finance? Is it in insurance? You know, what industries do you have a, a good background in? And then a third list would be, what do I enjoy? What am I passionate about? And then I would ask you to overlay those three lists and see where there's a combination that really makes sense for you. Maybe you're a graphic designer that could work with people in the finance industry because you've got you know, 10 years experience in that. And then obviously the final factor there would be, is there a market? Is there enough need for that? So anytime you can kind of pinpoint those four things, what do I have expertise in, in what industry that I'm passionate about and there's a market for? So if you can make those lists and nail it down to picking one from each, that's a great place to start for your niche. And then the next step really is, what do I have to offer, right? What what would my offering look like? What would be my specific three-step process, my five-step system for delivering a solution to people in that niche? Um, if you can make those lists and kind of write that out in one day, you are going to be way ahead of anybody else who's trying to start down this path. Love that. Thanks for sharing all this wonderful advice. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me on. That was great. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoy recording it. If you find it useful, make sure to share it with your peers and subscribe to your favorite podcast station to not miss when we drop the next one. We have lots of exciting guests and surprises for you coming up. This is your host, Gia Marushka, with the Nomad Solopreneur Show. Until next week, pura vida!